Welcome to Green Bice, Sustainable Asia's weekly environmental news podcast. I'm Shermaine Lee, and I'm Stella Chen. In less than ten minutes, we offer you bite-sized green updates in Asia we think you should know about. Hey, Shermaine. I know that you have been paying attention to climate protests around the world. What did you notice about this new wave of environmental demonstrations? Well, yes, we covered it in the episode last week, and this week we're gonna dive deeper into it. Climate activists around the world are leveling up their actions to hold the government accountable. In the Philippines, a hundred young people took to the streets and burned an effigy of President Rodrigo Duterte to express their discontent towards the government's destructive environmental policies. In Europe, various protesters were arrested amid clashes with the police. Why do you think they still stage these protests when the world leaders have already pledged to become carbon neutral with a definite date? Friday for Futures leader Greta Thunberg made an other landmark speech in Milan last week, calling leaders' insufficient actions as "30 years of blah blah blah." She roasted different world leaders' climate speeches, saying that they uttered words that sound great, but often ended up being just lip service. She urged leaders to listen to young people and get them involved in climate actions. Well, it might be true that traditional diplomatic speeches are not enough to push forward climate actions. Dream weather events are expected to become more frequent due to climate change. A study published in September in the journal Science revealed that people born in 2020 are likely to experience more extreme climate events compared to those born in 1960. This explains young people's rightful frustrations. Indeed, what did the scientists predict? The authors said 2020 babies are expected to witness twice as many wildfires, three times as many crop failures. And horribly, seven times as many heat waves as their 1960-born counterparts, and that's just the frequency of extreme climate events. Researchers said they didn't count for the severity of these events, but expect them to last longer and become more serious. That is true. We are facing a daunting future in a world with more extreme and deadly climate disasters that are largely the result of pollution from our ancestors. No wonder the youth are infuriated as the burden falls primarily on them. Exactly. The study showed that the 65 million children born in Europe and Central Asia between 2015 and 2020 would face four times as many extreme weather events than those born in the continents in 1960, while the 205 million born in Sub-Saharan Africa would experience six times as many. Those born in low-income countries or environments might suffer the most. A separate report from NGO Save the Children showed that kids born in Iraq in 2020 will face three times more droughts and four times as many crop failures, and Afghanistan children were projected to encounter twice as many wildfires.、Mm. And it doesn't help that the supposed silver linings for them are looking like false hopes. Wealthy countries promised to set up a $100 billion per year climate fund to support low-income countries in countering the climate crisis, but still haven't delivered. 
Speaking of empty promises, Cambodia is under the spotlight lately for going the opposite direction to the world by ramping up its coal power capabilities. They have new plans for new generation capacity and imports that will take fossil fuels from 56% of its grid to almost 75% within the next decade. Hmm. That seems to be at odds with the country's pledge to reduce carbon emissions by 21 million tons per year to fight climate change and the target of generating one-fourth of its electricity through renewable energy in the mix by 2030. Cambodia just fast-tracked approval for two new coal plants in the country and two more in neighboring country Laos. It defended the decision by saying that the authorities need to balance between going green and boosting its economy. He also argued that the country is already generating close to half of its power from new renewable sources like hydro. So it is still within targets set by Asian member states to have 23% of their primary energy supply from renewables by 2025. It is indeed a constant debate. Whether it is fair for developing nations to set aggressive green goals, given a lack of resources and the desperate need to bolster the economy, the pandemic has also driven up the demand for electricity. So that might explain why Southeast Asian countries are grappling with climate goals. But now, banks are withdrawing their financing of coal projects, so that could be a good motivation for them to channel the energy investment into more sustainable alternatives. You know, Charmaine, sometimes I wonder if there are more ways the governments can fight climate change on top of slashing carbon emissions. Hmm, Stella, in fact, there is. Organizations started urging the United Nations and governments to push for climate change education and make it compulsory in every classroom in the world. A research from the Brookings Institution found that if 16% of high school students in high- and middle-income countries received such education, by 2050, 19 gigaton of carbon dioxide can be reduced. Can you believe it? That sounds hopeful and important. Well, my question is, how does climate education work? Since it's still quite rare, there's not yet a standard model to exactly what a syllabus should look like. But essentially, it's reinforcing the identity of students as global citizens, learning climate facts and skills to mitigate the environmental crisis. They involve lessons focused on solving the challenges facing the planet. And according to a teacher in green school in Bali, on reconnecting with the nature. This can help build greener consumer behavior and along with a more climate-oriented mindset for entrepreneurs in the future and a greener economy can be built. But in Southeast Asia, a region particularly vulnerable to climate change-induced natural disasters, the rollout of such programs has been slow, which is largely due to the already deep-seated inequalities in education. Education for the poor isn't always accessible, and even if educators are more open to it now, the UN said climate education has yet to emerge as an independent field, and its development in the region is still in its infancy. And Thailand and Vietnam include sustainability in their national education frameworks, while Philippine schools focus more on individual actions like waste management. 
Experts suggest regional education departments offer tailored lessons about climate adaptation and science about the causes of climate change. Well, this surely seems necessary, not only because of climate change, but also constant environmental disruption by human activities, like what happened in Indonesia recently. I know that Indonesia has a history of illegal logging and timber trafficking. Is there any new development on that? Yes, a local nonprofit community, the Indonesia Independent Forest Monitoring Network, which is known as JPIK, found that a considerable amount of timber is not harvested from legal and sustainable sources. As one of the world's largest exporter of tropical timber products, Indonesia actually has been warned last year by environmental experts that illegal logging might resurge since the new regulation issued by the Ministry of Trade in last year February allowed local timber companies not to obtain export licenses that are supposed to guarantee that the wood comes from legal sources. The local authority said the reasons behind such a decision is that abolishing the legal documents can increase economic competitiveness, and this is much needed to further alleviate the financial loss of the ongoing pandemic on the country's economy. Does it mean that the black market for illegal timber trade is opening up again? That can be true. Local nonprofit organizations found that logging companies tend to saw the trees outside of their legally permitted concessions, while tagging these products with legality certificates that assure that the timber came from inside the concessions. That sounds like shops are easily able to manipulate records of the woods they bought from these illegal loggers. So, how would the government regulate such document forgery? Yeah, like most of these wood products are shipped and exported to countries like China. That's the tricky part here for the government to spot such illegal acts, which is that they are like these exporting companies in Semarang, Central Java, selling forged legal documents for these companies to export illegally harvested timber to other countries with eligible status. Campaigners from JPIK have been voicing out for enforcing new law against such violation from forestry criminals. So this is all we have for this week's Green Bites. If you have any news stories you think we should cover, let us know on our social media platforms with the hashtag #ShareYourBite. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast channels for more content and share our podcast with your friends and family. If you're interested in sponsoring Green Bites or have any comments about our content, we would love to hear from you. Email us using communications at sustainableasia.co or drop us a line on social media. Our handle is at sustainableasia. Thank you for listening.